You're listening to the Mailbox Money Podcast with Cody Burton and Rebecca Scott. We're live. We're live. And we have another guest. It's two in a row. Honestly, one of the best people here at Atlas. Oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so we have uh, our coworker Jen here. Jen, say hi. Hello. How is everyone? And so, yeah, we're just going to get started. We're going to talk a little bit about, you know, your background, your story, how you got into uh, Atlas and to investing in general and kind of how you've used it to um, build your empire. And I'm going to intro Jen really quickly because I think it's important. Jen is one of our OG members at Atlas and um, she's been here. How many years have you been here, Jen? I don't know, like almost 10. Almost 10. Started off in commercial real estate and segued into multifamily and now just an investment specialist helping other investors find properties. And Jen is a feminist to the max who loves building up other women in the space, which we love that. And so we're super excited to have you. And your story of how you got started in real estate is really powerful and meaningful. So I can't wait to dive in. Thank you, Rebecca. So yeah, let's um, kind of get started at the beginning. How'd you get into real estate? How'd you get into investing? What is What does that look like? What did that journey look like? Well, the journey for me wasn't me trying to get into real estate investing. It was just me trying to survive. I was going through a bad divorce. I have an ex with some addiction issues. I had a newborn baby. I had a daughter with cystic fibrosis who <clears throat> was in and out of the hospital. And she had... Um, well, cystic fibrosis is a lung disease. When she was born, they thought she was going to only live to be 30, but now the, the medicines are catching up. So it was pretty serious, and um, I don't know. I was It was in this little house after I had separated from my husband, and I was just going under because my baby was waking up every two hours. My daughter was sick. I couldn't, like work enough um, because I had the newborn in order to, to pay my bills and it was during the recession and so my house was underwater um, and so I couldn't sell it so what does that what does that leave right like so what I decided to do was rent out my house go move into the house next door to my best friend and that is how I got started in in real estate investing and it's kind of funny they should never have rented me that house right I did a rent to own why'd you say that why do you say that? Because I had horrible credit. I had oh. no job for all the reasons I just said. Like <laughs> the the um the man next to my best friend, he was just like we prayed and God told us to give you this house. Oh, that's so it's, sweet. And so I did a rent to own mm. because I couldn't buy it. I had like a two year rent to own to get my credit repaired by the so that I could buy it. Um, and it was scary. Yeah, I bet. So. When you rented this house next to your best friend, um, what was what was this rent to own situation like? Like a lot of people probably don't know what that means or what that looks like. So can you kind of go into that a little bit? Well, this is a different time, right? It was a extreme buyer's market. Mm. And so the houses were just sitting on the market. I think it was around like 2011, okay. around then. And so what he did is he said, you can rent this house for 1300 a month. Um, in order to get a rent-to-own option, you need to put 4200 down. And if you don't buy the house, you lose the 4200 hmm. But if you do buy the house, we lock in this house at 160 and you can buy it in two years, right? Mm -hmm. And so he, I 
I think it was just like an informal agreement, like two pages. And I don't recommend as a real estate investor you do that because it gives people rights to your property. Totally. So that is how I got into real estate investing. Do you still own that property today? I do. How much oh, wow. do you rent it out for now? It is getting renewed at 2500 And what's your payment on it? Um, the payment is thirteen. Okay. Be, and it would have been lower than that, but I took some money out of that to get additional houses. Okay, so it's 2011. You have two babies, essentially. One kid, one baby. You have a house that you're renting out, right? And then you are doing a rent-to-own program. Yes. Perfect. <laughs> so how much were you renting out your original house for? What was your payment, and then what were you renting it for? Do you remember? I think the payment was like nine ninety six, and I was renting it for eleven hundred. Okay. So I wasn't making hardly any money on it sure. because if you have just one thing break, like a water heater, and that's the whole profit for the whole year. And the market wasn't appreciating at that point, right? It was not appreciating. However, I had some really nice families that were taking care of the house, and it wasn't as hard as I thought. Great. So then you were doing this rent-to-own program, and you mentioned something about pulling money out of it. At what point did you do that? Well, I live next door to Jen and Erin, who is my best friend and her husband. They were able to help me with my son. I got him into um, a preschool program when he turned three, and so I was able to work. My daughter was in school, and so at that point, I was able to have an income again, right? Mm -hmm. And... I got more stable. Um, Jen and her husband eventually moved to Stapleton into like an $800,000 house. So I couldn't follow them and move next door. So I decided to move west. I've always lived in Colorado, but I've always lived in like the plains, right? Mm -hmm. Like my house was like people would say they're driving to Kansas to come and see me. And so I was just like, hey, this is Colorado. I want to be by the foothills. I want to be. Sure. So I moved to Littleton and I rented out this current house. In order to move to Littleton, I needed... Um, 20% of 325, which was, I don't know, like 65 ish, a little more than that, I think. But so I took out a home equity line of credit, I was able to use that as my down payment for the new house. And then the rent for the house at that time, I think was 1800. Hmm. So it'd been a couple years, and the rent had gone up from what I was renting it for um, pretty significantly, like $500. And that covered that mortgage plus the HELOC payment, and then I moved into my new house. And I had a house payment of like $1,500, which at the time I was like, oh, my God. Yeah. That was like just a couple extra hundred dollars was scary for me, but I did that. So when you were doing all these things, you're collecting these houses, did you have naysayers in your life saying, Jen, why the heck are you doing this? You're a single lady. You can't be buying houses and renting them out. Did you have anyone like that? In well, your especially life? when I moved to Green Valley Ranch, which is more of a diverse neighborhood. My family did not like that. They're like, you're moving out of the Cherry Creek School District. You live on a cul-de-sac. Your payment is low. All of those things were true. But I think in my life, the most important thing is community. And I did not have the community there. Mm -hmm. And it's just... I think when you're working a job and you're taking care of kids and you're trying to take care of the house, there's a finite amount of time in the day. And I couldn't work enough, right, with myself in order to make my bills. Mm -hmm. And so I wanted something different from my life. And I wasn't thinking about investing. I was thinking about, hey, 
our kids could play together and, and we can have shared dinners and Jen let me use her internet until I could get back on my feet. Things like that, right? Survival. It was survival. However, in the long term, it, it paid off. Absolutely. So at this point, you're, you've just moved into your third house, right? You're renting two out. Mm-hmm. Um, what are you doing for work? Because you weren't in real estate yet, or were you? I got my real estate license when my daughter was a baby so that I could work flexible hours. Um, I stayed home with the kids most of the time. My husband worked. Okay. So I've always had my real estate license. I did like six deals a year or something until I had to support myself, and then I would run like three deals a month by myself. Um, I decided that... It was hard to work all the nights and the weekends with the kids because it was opposite school hours. And that's why I got mm-hmm. into commercial real estate because I had the base. I had the client base. I I just wanted to learn something new and I wanted more of a nine to five. So I worked in commercial real estate for three years. And then by the time I had moved to the Littleton house, I had already met um, the people at Atlas. Okay. And started working with them to combine the commercial real estate and the residential real estate into more of a multifamily. And we started doing workshops. Amazing. Gotcha. So what did those, what did that look like on the career side? The developing those workshops, getting clients? When I worked for the commercial firm, we started building out Rhino. And we had these big commercial spaces and we would divide them into like art studios and there was a black box theater and make that with like the office people mix it all together there was a laptop bar and it was sexy right and so we could basically do a gross lease which means it pays for everything so we did like all the wi-fi all the electricity all the taxes were included and in order to fill those spaces we would have big parties and so we would rent out an art gallery or we'd rent out a, like a pizzeria like the sexy one right like mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then we would have about 100 people there lots of alcohol one business would be on the mic talking about themselves we would have a big party we would have giveaways and during those events we would be able to fill all of our spaces because it was a network event. Hey, I want to come be where you are, right? Gotcha. Okay. And so when I joined Atlas, I was like, hey, I want to, I want my parties back, right? Because my my life is kind of bipolar, right? Like, I'm home, I'm taking care of the kids, I'm doing, like, housework. But then you get to go into real estate mm-hmm. and you get to dress up and wear heels and, like, be out in downtown, right? It's kind of back and forth. I didn't want to lose that. Mm. And so um, when one of our partners... Michael Hills did his presentation. I'm like, hey, let's make this an event. Let's make this a party. Like, I know how to do this. And we did this in the mansion. Um, Some of the other partners were like, hey, let's do this at the aquarium. We can have more people. And I'm like, the aquarium is not sexy. It has to be a place where people want to go. And so there was a man named Voss who we had an argument. But Ultimately, they let us have the mansion, and it was more of our style and low-key, and I think that that is what has made us successful, is that we're relatable. Absolutely. So now you have these properties. You are in survival mode, but things are turning around for you, right? You're starting to get more stable with your job, Mm -hmm. and you've got these, you know, rentals that are bringing in income. How much income were they bringing in total? And then how was that impacting your day to day? I think that it got me out of survival mode. My daughter, when she was sick, 
the, the hospital was prescribing these things called Scandi shakes. And what they were is half corn syrup and half canola oil. Ew. It was making her really, really sick. Because in the hospital viewpoints, they were like, well, weight gain correlates to lung function. The more you weigh, the better your lung function is. Which is true, because if you're completely sick, then you have bad lung function, right? Mm. So that was their... Um, their vantage point of, hey, we're going to deliver these candy shakes. You need to eat three a day. I'm like, oh, but she's getting diabetes. Okay, well, we're going to deliver the insulin. Oh, well, now she's getting all these lung infections. Okay, well, we'll just deliver the insulin, the antibiotics, and the candy mm. shakes. And it was like, no, 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 no. I don't want to be in the hospital three times a year, right? Right, yeah. And so I needed to go to all this nutrition therapy, and I got into like the Juice Plus and went to the conferences and talked to the cardiologists and the pulmonologists, like in the natural healthcare setting. But to bring this back around, I needed that passive income to pay for all the organic food and mm. the tower gardens. I have these tower gardens that grow like kale and chard, and now she only eats like grass fed meat and. Mm. And um, vegetables, and what that did is it got rid of all of her infections and her inflammation. But CF, CF is progressive, mm-hmm. right? And so that worked for a few years. Then she started getting persistent lung infections. We got into like more alternative medicine with using mm-hmm. the essential oils mm-hmm. and the, the high-end natural doctors that prescribe things like back tea um, for nose washes to get rid of the bacteria because what would happen is she would get admitted to the hospital and they couldn't get rid of her infection, Mm. right? Mm -hmm. It's kind of scary, but in this country, like, you can get infections that they can't cure. Yeah. It's becoming more and more prevalent. So I would say all of our money went to, um, and it's still a lot of our money goes to organic food and natural medicine. Absolutely. But because you had this passive income, you were able to solve some of these problems that were going on. I wouldn't have been able to do that. That passive income has helped me um, just afford our lifestyle. Absolutely. And so now you have gone through all of these incredible challenges with your daughter and fighting the system of, you know, being a woman who can provide for two kids and can invest in real estate yourself and do all of these amazing things. Now you're at a point where you want to give back, right? And you love education and you're good at education. Can you tell us why you love teaching women how to invest? I think it is because there are barriers. There are barriers just in life. Some of them you can overcome and some of them you can't. Mm-hmm. But we need to do what we can, right? If you get out of survival mode and you, you can live in a nice neighborhood and, you know, like my son, he's in baseball and I have the flexibility in my job to pick him up from sports and take him. And like, these are the reasons why people stay in poverty, right? Like yeah. you, you're a single parent, you have to work two or three jobs, your kids are latchkey kids. And then what happens? Like they get into trouble. It's like this endless cycle and at, at some point, you just have to say, all right, that's enough. Mm. No matter what happens, I'm going to be there for my kids. I'm going to do the best that I can. I'm going to research and and be as educated as I can on health and nutrition. And I probably know more about pulmonology than a lot of doctors because I just sit and I study and I study and I study. Um, my brain can see patterns really easily. So when we started doing these workshops for the investors and getting them all of these houses... I was like, well, I can do that, too. And if I can do that, too, can we simplify that process Mm -hmm. to bring other people out of survival mode? 
right? And it doesn't even have to be the single parent. Like, my parents needed a way to retire, right? I think when I was reading, the average savings for retirement is very, very scary in it's, the nation, like across the board. It's just, it's, it's not one mm -hmm. demographic. No, it's extremely low. Yeah. So it's like, what can I do in my life to have purpose, to help other people while taking care of myself and my children, right? Absolutely. And now you slash we run women's events, right? We do. And we love it. And um, tell us a bit about why that gets you fired up and why you're passionate about that. Well, I started, I love personal development as well. And figuring out, like, what holds people back and what holds me back, right? Because I think in order to teach a thing, you have to be able to do the thing first. And there are a lot of barriers, and some I've been able to overcome and some I haven't. I, would, I, um, I do a lot for my kids that I'll do for them first. And so there was this conference in Boston on resilience. And I flew my daughter down there to... Um, to work with Eric Hogden, who he does like TED Talks and, and he's a resilience leader and a, a coach and a trainer and he has all these programs. And he specializes in like telling your story. And the reason why you would tell your story like for someone like Maya is instead of saying, oh, you know, I'm, I have cystic fibrosis, I've had a heart condition, I can't work, I can't do these things. It's to reframe that and to say, Look at all that I've accomplished, right? I was supposed to be here. I've, I've overcome those odds. Because what had happened is they had made a new drug for cystic fibrosis that gave her close to a normal life expectancy. Mm -hmm. And what that does to you, if you grow up thinking you're going to die, and all of a sudden you have a normal life expectancy, you would think you would be happy, but you're not. You're just like crashed because you're like, oh my gosh, I have no plan. I'm not where mm. I'm supposed to be. I'm not normal. Why? So I was trying to like figure out ways to help her. But when I took her to the workshop, I had to work on my own story, which was not my plan. So I'm like, they're like, you have an incredible story. When you write out your story and you have somebody else speak it out loud, I was like in tears. Mm. And then I was like, well, I can't say this story who's going to want to work with me I'm a single mom I've had a failed relationship if you can call a failed relationship with an addict like that's not even you know but when you when you speak you're you're talking about your your most vulnerable times right like I yeah. lost my house who's going to want to work with me but it's like well are you still in that place well no I'm not I've done all of this work and it's been 10 years and I have four houses and I'm doing all of these things okay well then do you think that other people in your scenario could be helped? I'm like, okay, yes. And so I was doing that work and working on my story, and I hired him to do some coaching and got that perfected. And then Atlas was like, hey, you're going to do a women's event. And I'm like, well, I don't know if I can get up and say that. And they're like, well, yes, you can. And so I had to practice in front of the partners, which is very intimidating for, like, our, our owners are rich white men. <laughs> I'm like, well, they're like, okay, let's tame this story down and let's take out the parts of, like, the abuse and different things. Mm. So I took that part out. And so my presentation is a little bit watered down, but it's still really real. And I got up, and the more that I spoke, the more people would come up to me and say, hey, like, that was really inspirational. No one said, wow, you've had a lot of failures in your life. Like, it's funny how we frame things in our life, right? It's self-doubt, right? Mm -hmm. we, we are so good at 
focusing on our personal negativity. Like you tell me your story and all I hear is, oh my gosh, this is a strong woman who's gone through so much and figured it out, right? She figured it out, she put her kids first and she survived and she's now thriving and doing great things and giving back and all these things. And that's what I hear. But when you tell your story, you know, you probably hear you, like you said, you hear, I lost a house. I failed in a relationship. I did all these things. And that's the and difference. And then it's also like, it's reinforced by society. Like when Maya was, she has some learning disabilities when she was in college or in high school, she was failing her math class. She kept having to take it again and again. They're like, there's this correspondence class that she can take. But it's $50. So I don't think that she can take, you know, like, so people would look at me if they knew that I was a single mom and just be like, she can't do anything. She can't Mm. afford things. And so, like, even when I was working my real estate, I would just wear my wedding ring and people would just treat me normal. Hmm. Wow. So I don't think it's just me, but it's just like, well, you have to fight against that. Yeah, it, it is incredible. Just some of the bias behavior that we see in this industry. And that's why we're out to change it. Right. So kind of transitioning into what you do now, what is your role at Atlas? I obviously we're doing these women events, but what is your actual day to day job and how are you helping people? So what I do is I look at all of the different markets every day with my analyst, um, Phoenix, Colorado, Tucson, and I know Tucson and Phoenix are both Arizona, but they're two different markets, right? Yeah, they definitely um, are, yeah. <laughs> Utah, Kansas City, Idaho. And I've been doing this this particular job for about nine years. So I can pick out which deals are going to cash flow. And when I mean cash flow, I mean which deals are going to pay for themselves when they're rented. And if we can pick those out, we're in appreciating markets where the rent is appreciating, the price of the real estate is appreciating, not in a straight line. we very picky about our markets. And I want to get normal people into these deals. Normal people meaning like mom and pop investors. We work with, um, Atlas works with different funds and they have their own fund and does the analytics for Zillow and and different really big names. And so what I want to do is take that knowledge and simplify it and spread it out across the team. So what we're doing is we have these inventory emails like, hey, today we found two deals in Kansas City, two in Phoenix, one in Denver, uh, one in Tucson. The price ranges are between 200 thousand and three million and this is how you can get started do you have equity in your house do you have a 401k that you can roll over it stays a 401k and you can make money in real estate a whole bunch of different ways so that people can just compound their wealth get out of survival mode and just story upon story of people you know being able to stay home with their kids or being able to start that business or being able to retire or just it's it's really cool um i miss working with the clients directly but i think that just being in charge of this inventory team there's just ripple effects across a lot of of lives like cody we worked with you right Mm -hmm. got you started so yeah i guess we haven't really said that so far but yeah i mean you're the reason i'm at atlas and a big part of the reason we have this podcast to even begin with oh we went full circle (laughs) (laughs) i met cody and i i loved cody and i was like cody is gonna come work with us and and no one could just stop this goal of mine i'm like (laughs) i just brought him to this um nuggets game and i'm like michael this is cody and he's gonna come work with us and he was like well okay then and (laughs) 
it was a great decision. It was. Yeah, it's worked out great for me. Yeah. And, and I think this is something that's probably come through in your story as people have been listening. But you're very much somebody that when they set their mind to something, regardless of what it is, like you make it happen. Right. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Maya's like, Maya is my daughter. She's like, most people are like, I'm going to do this. And you're just like, I must do this <laughs> at the expense of everything else. <laughs> it gets done. That's funny. Absolutely. So, yeah, I mean, you know, at this point, you've been in it for 10 years. We've talked about you've really, I mean, had some huge triumphs for mm. people listening that maybe feel like they resonate with the beginning and part of your story. Or maybe they're just starting out on that journey, whether it's, you know, starting over from a divorce or um, just any sort of big setback. What like what would you say is your advice for them? Kind of that mm. initial and that initial starting point. If I don't know how to do a thing, I get around the people that knew, know how to do a thing, right? Like, you don't take life advice from someone that hasn't done what you want to do. So, like, right now I'm working on my tr nutrition with a nutritionist or, yeah. you know, working out with a trainer or, you know, I can do these things because of um, the passive income. But I learned by um, modeling Michael, one of our partners, and getting around and just getting immersed in that world and seeing how it works and then figuring out how I could structure my life around there. I wasn't trying to do it by myself. Um, the first time was an accident. The first time was just me trying to survive. And I would say, like, you can get started even when you're at that place. Because if you're going to be paying rent anyway, why not pay towards an investment that's yours? If I was just starting out again, I'd probably would would have gotten a bigger house um, because the more floors you have you can you can have roommates and you can make separate entrances and also just knowing what I know now the four bedroom three bath houses rent out better than the three bedroom houses but you start where you can you know I would say we start where we can with the resources that we have and we get around people that are smarter than us yeah. and we go from there absolutely I think that's great advice for anybody who's trying to get started is find somebody who's done it find somebody who is successful in whatever you're trying to be successful in whether it is working out or or nutrition or financially find somebody who's taken that path and surround yourself with them mm -hmm. yeah and that takes vulnerability to do which mm -hmm. i think is not something we ever really talk about in the real estate investment world you know mm -hmm. everybody kind of like peacocks a little bit like i'm the expert to listen to and even investors that come to us kind of want to come to us from a place of knowledge, like, oh, I've done all this research and you're just here to help me. Yeah. Um, I think having that vulnerability to say, like, I don't know everything and I'm going to surround myself with people who are smarter than me and who are more educated in whatever subject. Um, having that vulnerability is a great way to move yourself forward more quickly. Absolutely. Um, and it's hard to do, right? Being vulnerable, especially in Absolutely. the, especially in the professional world. We're not and in this space. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And in this space where it is not, it's the shark pit. It is. It really is. And vulnerability is not welcomed. It's, it doesn't come with a warm welcome, but if you have thick skin, they deal with it though. Right? Absolutely. They don't really, it confuses them. They're not sure what to do with it. So yeah. they help you. Yeah. <laughs> I like that idea of thick-skinned vulnerability. Yeah. That's a that's a cool concept. Well, you can 
you can be extremely vulnerable giving to other people, right? Mm-hmm. Going outwardly. But that doesn't mean it's going to be well received. So you have to have thick skin for everything that comes to you. So they can't crush you. Exactly. And that's real power is if you can be empathetic, vulnerable, and tough at the same time, mm-hmm. you're a force to be reckoned with. Which you are. Absolutely. <laughs> I'm always like, what about now? What about now? If I don't get my way, well, if you're not calling me back, I'm going to stand outside your office. We got to get this done, you know? And I get things done. My Absolutely. things do not crash. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. Jen, any final words of wisdom, tidbits that you want to pass along to maybe new investors or experienced ones or just women in general in the space? Anything that you want to to part with? I think that as people, we just need to keep learning, right? There's Mm. never like I've gotten there, right? Because I don't think... Anyone ever gets there. You just enjoy the the journey, and I think that my purpose in in my own life is to break like the the generational curses that were handed down in my family, and hopefully I can do that for some other people, right? Like, because when you change your own life, you don't just change your life; you change the life of those people around you, your kids, like your friends, your family. They can see you. you they can see that light in you, and they'll start emulating what you're doing the people that are meant to to stay with you right like and then you do lose like the dysfunctional relationships in your life but who wants to hold on to that right so I would just say we just keep building and we keep moving forward and get around people that that want to help you I love that always be a student that's essentially what you said. Always be a student of life, of people, of everything. I think we get in trouble when we think we know everything. Absolutely. 100%. Yeah. And if you're really learning, the more you learn, the more you realize you know nothing. <laughs> <laughs> At least that's been my experience. The more I read, I'm like, there's so much out in this world. There's so much content to be consumed. There's just so much knowledge to learn. And it's daunting how impossible it is. It, uh, and then you can just sit in awe and in gratitude like I do when yeah. I can ride my bike through Kin Carroll Valley next to the Red Rocks. It's like, how is this my life? How do I get to live here? Totally. You know, it's beautiful. It's, it's beautiful. Amazing. It yeah. is amazing. And I think reflection is just as important as progress, right? Because we can keep going and keep moving forward and keep building, keep learning and keep doing everything. But all of that means nothing if we don't turn back around and look at all the progress that we've made. And if something goes wrong, we just fix it quickly and we don't ruminate on it. It's how much energy do you want to give to the things that you can't, you have no control over, right? right? Like it's like the serenity prayer, right? Absolutely. So well, on the topic of gratitude, we're really thankful that you came and shared your story. It's a really powerful story and maybe somebody will um, be inspired and this will impact somebody that you have no idea. Maybe they're across the country. And so, um, yeah, thank you for coming on that note. We'll go ahead and end. I hope you enjoyed this week's podcast. I know I did. I kind of sat back and listened for a lot of this one and it was wonderful. Um, so if you did join, don't forget to subscribe. We have lots more episodes coming and uh, reach out to us. We have uh, Instagram. We have, you know, TikTok, Facebook, all the things. We love to see who is listening to the podcast and interact. If you have ideas for episodes or questions or want to reach out to us, uh, you can hit up our link tree in our Instagram. We have our emails and contact info on there. Uh, Until next week, bye-bye.